Chapter 6. In the Shadow of the Wall Ikaru seemed to grow heavier all of a sudden. Dipple hoped he could hang on till they got wherever they were going. Then, with a thud, they landed. All three of them. So much for not affecting the timeline, Dipple thought wryly. Uh, Bernie, are you still there? When she did not answer immediately, Dipple began to panic. What if he had changed history enough that Bernie no longer existed? Worse, what if she existed, but simply did not know him? Did not love him? Then he remembered the pendant. Scrabbling beneath his beard, he felt its welcome solidness. Time couldn't have changed too much if he still had that, could it? Decided you needed me for something, have you? Dipple had never been so glad to hear Bernie's scolding voice. Uh, my dear, can you tell me what you know about my mission? Why, what have you done to change time? Phew, Dipple sighed. Same old Bernie. Well? Uh, nothing much. Uh, just pulled a couple of chaps out of their own time into this new one. How on earth did you manage that? Uh, easier than you might think. Anyway, uh, any idea where and when we are? You haven't brought that dodgy wizard along with you, have you? Well, oh, Dipple. At least I know where he is, Dipple muttered. Goodness, you have been travelling around a bit. Where? You're in China now. Indeed. Around 215 BC. Well, that explains that huge wall over there. Off in the distance, a high wall meandered along a ridgeline and continued on out of sight to the west. The wall was as wide as a road across its top, its sides capped with crenellated battlements, with guard towers poking up at regular intervals along its length. To the east, a group of peasants dressed in short belted robes over long loose pants, with pointed woven hats on their heads, laboured carrying huge blocks made of packed earth and stone, to continue the wall in that direction. Looks like they're just getting started on joining all the separate bits together to form the earliest version of the Great Wall. Dipple tested his power levels. A bit stronger. Cadmu was still closer to his own source of power than Dipple was, though. He looked around again. Where did Cadmu go? he asked. Ikaru was sitting on the ground with a stunned look on his face. Ikaru? Ikaru pointed, seemingly unable to speak, and Dipple spotted the sorcerer scurrying off along the road they had landed on. The road followed the line of the wall a short distance before curving away out of sight around the side of a hill. He's going to try and get the ring first, Dipple muttered, though he probably thinks it's the key he's after. We need to follow him. Somehow, I need to get him and the ring and return him to his own time. And what if he gets the ring first? Bernie asked. I don't think it will work for him. The ring is connected to me, so when I touch it, the connection attempts to restore us to our correct time, which is why we keep being bounced off into time. And if you could just hold on to it, you would be home by now. But what if he figures out what that ring can do, you know, as a weapon? Of course, Dipple said, continuing his own thought. Now the key is attached to the ring. It is distorting the process because the key is trying to pull back to its own time. Doesn't that also mean if Katmu gets the key first, he might wind up in some unknown time, taking the ring with him? Ah, drat. Yes, it does. And Ikaru and I will be stuck here. 
I can use the homing crystals to bring you home at any time. Then, I suppose, you can start the search for the ring again from here. Like you did before? Though, who knows what damage he might do before you get back to him. Actually, Dipple said, if I could separate the key and the ring, touching the key should take Katmu back to his own time. Assuming he doesn't drop it along the way like you keep doing, and he doesn't figure out that by dropping it he can get himself into another time. Hmm. I think it will be better if I see him home myself. Make sure he gets there. Anyway, uh, your homing crystals. Can you set them to go to any time? Yes. So you could set the ones attached to me to take me back to the gardens. You just have to give the word. How precise are they? I can send you back to the exact moment when the three of you shot off into time. Really? said Dipple impressed. How do you know when we left? I always know when you are, except when you're in time itself. The crystals are constantly sending that information back to me. Splendid, said Dipple. Right, well, you get that ready and we'll set about finding this rat bag in the ring. What are you going to do about Ikaru, Dipple? You know you have to take him home too, don't you? Uh, haven't decided. If I take him back, he'll certainly be killed by the sorcerer, and it will be my fault. But not taking him back. Small changes to the timeline are bad enough, but this would be huge. Have you seen any signs that history has changed from what I've done so far? How would I know? It would have changed my memories too. Ikaru plucked at Dipple's sleeve. I think he's headed for that palace there. Isn't that another piece of this road? Sure enough, in the distance, south of the wall, another stretch of the road meandered toward a valley surrounded by hills. At the centre of the valley, facing south, stood a long three-storied building, a red-tiled roofline bordering each level, the corners curving upwards in distinctive Chinese style. A number of long, low buildings were arranged symmetrically to either side of the main building, forming a large open courtyard in front of it. Two sets of smaller buildings, arranged in the same way around their own courtyards, flanked the main courtyard on its eastern and western sides. We'd better follow him, Dipple told Ikaru. They needed to find the ring, but they needed to keep an eye on Katmu too. And since he had no idea where the ring was, following the sorcerer was as good a direction to start as any. Dipple had barely taken a step when... Ow! He howled beginning a hopping dance to relieve the pain of stubbing his toe on a sharp stone, only to find his feet jabbed by more stones. This is why I wear these, he grumbled to Ikaru, retrieving his boots from inside his robes and sitting on a larger rock to pull them on. I bet I know what he's up to, Dipple muttered as they set off again. He's seen that palace and all these peasants and decided to ingratiate himself to the prince or whoever lives there hoping they'll help him find the key and ring and deal with us into the bargain. Ikaru was still very quiet. I know all this is a lot to take in, Ikaru, but don't worry. I will get you somewhere safe. Dipple, you know better than to make promises you can't be sure of keeping, Bernie scolded. Well, I'll just have to make sure I keep it, Dipple muttered grimly. And how are you going to do that? I'll think of something. Already... Dibble was beginning to forget how anxious he'd been to hear Bernie's voice a short time earlier. They'd been walking for about an hour when they saw Katmu arrive at the palace ahead of them. 
Almost immediately, a party of men dressed in short, dark, belted robes over dark, loose pants set out along the road toward them. The soldiers were armed with double-edged longswords, Jian, Dipple thought they were called. Katmu works his magic fast, he remarked wryly. Looks like we're about to have an escort. Without a word, the soldiers surrounded Dipple and Ikaru and began to march them towards the palace. As they drew closer, Dipple could see the palace was not in fact three stories. Rather, the roof line rose in several layers, the entire structure resting upon a series of large trimmed logs. Thin timber walls filled the gaps between these columns. The whole building sat upon a raised platform of mud and stone. Dipple and Ikaru were escorted into a large, rectangular room. Its long sides, which faced forwards into the courtyard, took up the entire centre of the building, its width running across the building from front to back. Richly coloured silken screens served as internal walls separating the central room from the outer ends of the building. Colourful ceramic tiles were laid out to cover the earthen floor. A low platform was set just in front of the far wall. Upon this, seated cross-legged on a woven mat, sat a man with the slanting eyes of the Orient and a thin moustache that ran along his upper lip, dangling from the corners of his mouth almost to his waist. His long hair was set in a tight knot atop his head. He was dressed in wide-sleeved robes of dark teal silk, crossed to the left at the front and held closed at the waist by a wide belt of the same fabric. At his shoulder crouched a familiar figure, his smugness obvious despite the mask that still hid his face. Father! A tiny doll-like girl burst into the room, a long dark plait trailing behind her as she rushed towards the dais. Her long robes, similar in style but more colourful than the prince's, did not slow her. You too! The prince spoke in a rapid, clipped manner. You have been warned about bursting in here. A princess should behave better. Return to your tutors immediately. But, father, I found... You insult me with your disobedience. Go, now, before you shame yourself further. The child bowed, her eyes to the floor, as she began backing toward the screen she had just pushed through. My lord! Katmu spoke greasily in the prince's ear. Why not let the child stay? So, he too had spotted the key she carried. Yes, the child should stay, the prince said woodenly. Liu Chu, come here. Father? Come! Child, Katmu said in an oily voice, may I see that key you are holding? Instantly, the girl stopped, putting her hands behind her back. Uh, perhaps you might show it to me, Dipple suggested. The girl looked at Dipple, and, despite the fact he was flanked by guards and clearly a prisoner, she seemed to see something she liked. She smiled and began to walk toward him. Stop her! Cadmus screeched. You too! Her father spat. One of the guards took the princess gently but firmly by the shoulders and turned her to face her father again. You will give that key to my friend, immediately. I will not! The girl shrieked. Before the guard could react, she had twisted from his grasp and run from the room. Find her! Bring her back! The prince ordered. Several guards rushed backwards from the room, bowing as they went. So, my friend, the prince continued, these are the men who seek to do you harm? Indeed they are, my prince, Katmu agreed. And what punishment would you propose? A slow death, my prince. Katmu rubbed his hands together. I'm sure you can suggest some such means of execution. Well, there is the dragon. How does slow roasting sound to you? 
Then again, I am having trouble getting the beast to do anything except lie in the dungeon moaning. Capture a baby dragon, they told me. Bend her to your will and you shall control the weather. What were they thinking, suggesting I capture such a sacred creature? Last idea I ever listened to from those advisers. Still, she has come in handy for getting rid of unwanted advisers. Death by dragon sounds perfect, my prince, Catmoo interrupted. Eh, uh, said Dipple. You won't be able to use that key without me. The bronze mask turned to face him. Perhaps I've been a little hasty, my prince. They should be tortured first. Take them to the dungeon, the prince ordered. It's not intelligence you need, Dipple called as they were dragged away. It's me. We shall see, Katmu replied, following them from the room. The prisoners were escorted behind the palace, where a large wooden door had been fitted across the mouth of a hole that bit deep beneath the hillside. They were dragged stumbling down a steep flight of slippery steps cut from the stone of the earth, through a second door and into a large damp room with slimy rock walls. A number of unfortunates inhabited the dungeon, each shackled to a ring on the floor by an iron chain attached to his or her ankle. The air was ripe with the stench of unwashed bodies and the filth they had created. Though the underground room was unlit, it was not completely dark. A scarlet glow shone out from one corner. Most of the inmates cowered from the snake-like creature that lay there, shackled to multiple rings by chains attached to each of four limbs and around its neck. Each time the creature groaned, the inmates shrank further from it, but Dipple did not think she meant to hurt anyone. He decided to appeal to Katmu's cruel nature. Not by the beast, I beg you! It worked. This is a good place for them, Katmu gloated, choosing the rings nearest the creature's great horned head. It will spur them to think of how they might help me. Dipple and Ikaru were shackled to the floor, Katmu adding a complex spell to ensure Dipple could not pick this lock either. I'm going to find the child, Katmu told them. If what you say is true, I shall return, and you will show me how to use that key to move through time. If I do not require your help, you will be left here, never to see your own times again. But fear not, for while you moulder here... I shall be seeking that pretty lady of yours. Let him come, Bernie growled in Dipple's ear, and the wave of fear that had gripped him at Katmu's words slipped away. Bernie could take care of herself. Uh, she might turn out to be more than you bargained for, he warned. Pah, no mere woman is a match for my power. She will bow before me and kiss my feet. Mere woman? Perhaps you should bring him here on the way back to his own time, Dipple. I'll teach him all about mere woman. I don't doubt it, my dear. Katmu swept from the room and the door swung shut with a hollow boom. Well, Ikaru, together again in another dungeon, eh? There was another moan from the creature. Dipple reached out and touched her nose. You are in pain, he said softly. Perhaps I can help. What ails you, dragon? The dragon opened her eyes and looked at him. You do not fear me, wizard? Tipple took a step back, stumbling over his shackles. Uh, no, not really. That breath of yours is another matter, though. It is awful, isn't it? She agreed. It's my gum that is sore, she continued. There's something lodged in it. Could you take a look? Of course. Shouldn't you be figuring out how to get out of there, Dipple? 
exactly what I'm working on, my dear. Digging a large handkerchief from one of his pockets, Dipple tied it around his face before approaching the dragon's mouth again. I must warn you, wizard. Even if you do this, though I will be grateful, I cannot help you escape. I have tried to free myself, but I daren't use flame for fear of hurting these unfortunates, and fire is my one power. Uh, you do know you have a lot of magic in you, don't you? You're supposed to be able to control the weather, fly, that sort of thing. I only know how to make fire, she said. I was taken from my mother before she could teach me more. I think together we may be able to come up with something, said Dipple. You're stronger than you know. Now, open up. So, this is where that ended up, he remarked after a moment. Uh, this is going to hurt, I'm afraid. He grasped the hilt of the Egyptian dagger he had lost in time and began to pull falling backwards as the dagger at last came free. I must apologize, Dipple said, feeling in his pockets for a small jar of aloe gel. I fear I am the cause of this object turning up in your time. He applied a large dollop of gel to the sore gum. Ah, said the dragon with relief. How did you wind up with it in your mouth, though? I thought it was a bone splinter, she said. I've eaten a few guards since they captured me. You see, you do have more power than you think. Now, you may not know how to use your magic, but I have a few ideas. If you will allow me to link into your magic, I can draw on your power to do one or two things. How? You don't have to do anything. Just let me in when you feel my touch on your mind. Splendid, he said, after a moment, rubbing his hands together before delving inside his robes again. First up... How about I clean those teeth for you, he offered, producing his toothbrush and toothpaste from a narrow pocket. He set the toothbrush to work cleaning the dragon's teeth. Just as well I brought my rapid regina paste, he thought after a while. A normal tube would have run out after one tooth. I'm going to need a new toothbrush, though. When the job was done, he emptied a bottle of his marvellous magical mouthwash into the dragon's mouth. Standing back as she gargled, a cloud of eucalyptus-scented steam rising from between her teeth. Thank you, wizard, the dragon said a moment later. Um, shouldn't we get free? Ikaru asked. Oh, uh, good idea, Dipple said. Solvo ex vinculum, he added, gesturing toward the dragon, then Ikaru, then at all the other inhabitants of the chamber, who hurriedly cowered to a far corner as, with a clatter, the chains fell away from the dragon's neck and limbs, allowing her to stretch to her full height. Now, let's see if I can untangle this spell. Gat, the man knows how to make a knot. And yet, if I just pull on this strand... Just then, the door of the chamber swung open again. The dragon quickly resumed her former pose, pretending she was still chained and in pain. But it was not Katmu or the guards who entered. The child they had seen in the palace came into the dungeon. She walked straight up to Dipple, not bothering to lift her skirts from the filth on the floor. Where are the guards, child? Dipple asked in surprise. They sleep, she said with a grin. I made them some tea and told them I'd go with them if they drank it. They thought it a game and did what I asked. You know herbs, then? Dipple asked. She shook her head. I stole some of the potion the physicians give my mother to help her sleep, and disguised it with lots of honey. That man with my father, you know him? 
Yes. He is a bad man. He is a very bad man, Dipple agreed. If I give you this key, you will take him away from here? I'll certainly do my best. The girl stared intently at Dipple for a moment, then nodded. She moved to place the key in his hand. Dipple was careful not to touch the ring. He wasn't ready to leave here yet. Uh, child, before you give it to me, can you take that ring off it? He retrieved the handkerchief he had used as a face mask. Put the ring on here, if you please. Folding the cloth carefully with the ring inside, he stowed the package in his top pocket, after checking for holes, of course. Thank you, child. Now, you must go to your father. Tell him you have given me the key. He will tell his friend, and his friend will come here to me. I have other keys, the princess offered, holding up a large bunch she had obviously stolen from the guards. So, here is our little runaway, a cold voice spoke from the doorway. Go and stand by the dragon, Dipple whispered to the princess. She will protect you. Looking for this, he said to Katmu, dangling the key tauntingly in the air. Ikaru, grab hold of my arm, he muttered from the corner of his mouth. Katmu stalked toward him. If you leave me here, know that this child and many others will suffer. Oh, I have no intention of leaving you here, old chap, Dipple said. He reached forward and grabbed Katmu's arm. Now, Bernie! And once again, all three of them were tumbling through time, feeling heavier than ever. An instant later, they were back in Katmu's cellar. Dipple pushed Katmu from him. Orbis Volo! he cried, using magic to retrieve the ring from his pocket. Hang on, Ikaru! But just as the room began to dissolve, Dipple spotted something that made his heart clench. Katmu had hold of a small girl clad in coloured silk. He must have grabbed her as they left the dungeon. He thrust the ring back in his pocket, no easy task while being tossed in the maelstrom of time. Ikaru, grab this key! With a jerk, they were returned to the Lord's cellar, to find him with his hands around the throat of the small princess. I thought you might return, Katmu sneered. Now, give me that key and I will give you the child. Dipple had a better idea. He was still linked to the dragon, which, even though she was 500 years away across time, meant he had access to far more power than Katmu. Solvo! He began a spell to separate the child from the sorcerer. At the same moment, the princess twisted her head and sank her teeth into Katmu's wrist. Ah! He cursed, relaxing his grasp. Breaking free, the princess ran to Dipple. Thud! Gads! Dipple exclaimed. Retemperating a couple of chaps was one thing, but now I've dragged a dirty great dragon out of her own time. Dipple, how? I used magic while still linked to the dragon, he explained to Bernie. It drew her to me across time. Right, well, I'd better get you two home, he said to the dragon and the princess. You coming, Ikaru? Ikaru grabbed Dipple's arm and Dipple took the princess's hand, placing his other hand on the dragon's scaly leg. Take us back to China, Bernie, he called. Romanio, he muttered, to ensure Katmu did not hitch a ride this time. I fear this won't be the last we see of that chap, though, Dipple thought, glimpsing Katmu's figure rigid with rage as they were whisked away. Thanks for listening to this chapter of The Adventures of Dipple. If you're enjoying the story, you can support Josie by following one of the links in the podcast description.